gospel. But Mark chapter 4, and the title of our time together in the Word of God today is simply this, a heart ready to receive the Word, a heart ready to receive the Word. Psalm 95.8 says this, Harden not your heart as in the day of provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. James 1.21 says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. Isaiah 55, 8-11 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the flower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The proclaiming of the Word of God is one of the primary methods that has been set forth by God to accomplish His work. These passages that have just been read point to this truth, and the text that we're going to drive in today points to that truth even further. The Word of God always reveals to us the will of God. And if we abandon the Word of God, then we will have trouble understanding what the will of God is. Last week, we saw that Jesus rebuked the scribes and the Pharisees for their unbelief and for the accusation they made against him that the works that he was doing were done through the power of Satan. And Jesus reminded them that staying in that mindset would lead them to being eternally unforgiven. And now as Mark 4 opens, it's opened with one of the most well-known parables of Jesus, the sower and the seed. Parables have often been described as being a heavenly truth wrapped in an earthly story. And there's much truth in that description of what a parable is. And Jesus often used parables to teach truths that were very impactful. But that definition alone doesn't really give us enough. There's truth in that description, but we must also think of parables as being a mirror that we can look into, not just to see a kingdom truth, but to see a truth about ourselves. When we approach parables in this way, we're often left questioning things about ourselves that may not be what they should be, and we're drawn to a place of repentance where, we, where we're ready to do the works that God has called us to do. Parables as stories of relaying kingdom truths are effective because they enable the listeners to visualize the truth that has the power to change their lives. Jesus was teaching the masses yet again as he sat in a boat, and the people were lined up on the shoreline. But truthfully, in this parable, the brunt of his teaching went to his disciples. Not just the twelve that he called to himself, but those who had attached himself in a genuine way that were seeking to follow Jesus, not simply to have their bellies filled and their needs met, but they were following Jesus because they realized there was something different about him that they had never seen before. So as we get into the second portion of this passage, we'll see that Jesus really unpacks for them a truth that he did not want them to miss. 
The disciples of Jesus did not always fully understand what Jesus said in his teachings. And so in opportunities like this, Jesus goes the extra mile and he breaks it down in a way that they couldn't miss it, for everything was revealed to them plainly and clearly. The proclaiming of the word of God is a powerful thing in the lives of those who are ready and willing to receive it. And probably each of us in this room could attest to a time where we walked into a church building or we listened to a sermon or we read the word of God with a heart ready to receive it and God did a great and wonderful work in us. But we also probably could all attest to times where we have walked in church with a heart that's not ready to receive the word. And we walk out wanting something that was there for us, but we weren't willing or ready to receive it. So Jesus is proclaiming in this passage that the preached word of God has a power like nothing else. But only those who hearts, whose hearts have been prepared will receive it, and only those whose hearts who have been prepared and receive it will produce fruit that lasts for all of eternity. This parable has some difficult passages or thoughts in it, um, and those come in verses 10 and 11. And, and this is all introduction, but if you look at those verses with me, Jesus says these words, and when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are with sin will not be forgiven. And so as he enters into chapter 4, much of the crowd that was there in the last teaching would have been there in this teaching as well. And Jesus was seeking to drive a truth home that when we harden our hearts to the word of God, there very well could, a, could come a time in our lives, where we, we can't receive the word even if we wanted to. And so while that seems like a hard truth, really, this is a quotation from an Old Testament passage in Isaiah 6, where God had worked in the lives of his people in a dramatic and drastic way, and they continually forsook him, they continually abandoned him, and God says through Isaiah that the day has come where their hearts will be turned away from me, so to speak, that they won't be ready to receive the things that I'm saying to them because of how they have set themselves against me. Brothers and sisters, friends, if you're here today, I, I would encourage you, I would implore you to not turn your heart against God. If you're a believer today, to stop and pray even now that God would speak to your heart in a way that would be transformational. And that if you're here today and you're not a believer, that you would pause in your seat and ask yourself what your attitude has been towards God. That as he works in you, that you would receive his word with gladness. This idea of God working through his word is, is somewhat difficult for us to understand, but we must understand that every time the word of God is spoken, his word does not return void unto him. It always accomplishes the thing that he sets it forth to do. So as we look into this text today, we see a familiar story of the sower and the seed. We see this parable that probably many of us could, could quote, maybe not word for word, but we could at least give idea for idea of what takes place in this parable. And while to some in the crowd on that day, it seemed like a cute or quaint story that, that Jesus told that didn't really have much meaning. It was just story time with Jesus. Jesus then goes and tells his disciples that to understand all parables, you have to understand this parable. Because this parable holds a truth that the rest of the parables point to. 
These truths are sometimes difficult for us to understand and they're difficult for us to grasp. But when we receive the word with a heart that is softened to receive the word and when we take direction from the spirit of God who lives within us, the words that are difficult to understand will be words that are transformational for both now and for eternity. And so before we even get into the message today, I would ask you this simple question. Is your heart prepared to receive the word of God today? You say, well, that's your job. That's your job, Dan, to come prepared to preach the word. And you're right. It is my job. But it's also your job. To come into the house of God ready and willing to receive the word of God, not for what we want it to say, but for what it says. And so I would ask that we take a moment to pray right now. And that we would ask God to prepare our hearts to receive the word that he has prepared for us this morning. God, as we come to your house today, it's with grateful hearts that we can even come. And as we approach your word, God, we pray that your spirit would work in our hearts, that that we would not sit here in arrogance, that we would not sit here in complacency, but God, that we would have hearts that are ready to receive what you have for us. And God, some of the truths that we'll speak of today are simple, but isn't it the simple and foolish things, God, that you've chosen to confound the wise? So help us to receive them with humility, that your spirit would do a transformational work in our hearts that when we leave this place, we would look like your son, Jesus Christ. And God, for those in the room today who are not saved, we pray that this morning they would come to, the, to grips with the reality that apart from you, they have no hope, not in this life nor in the life to come. So use your word today to do your work. And God, may be May we be ready and willing to receive it with joy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The big idea this morning is simply this. As the word of God goes forth, may we receive it with humility so that we can be transformed into the image of Christ. Who here today would look at your life and be honest, and and we struggled with raising hands last week, we're going to try again this week, but who here would be honest and say that there are portions of your life that probably do not look like Christ just yet. Anybody? All right, we're doing much better this week. I I know it's hard for you to lift up that hand. But isn't that true? That there are portions of us, regardless of how good we're doing or how long we've been in our spiritual journey or how long we've been a Christian, that there are still parts of us that we understand are not what they should be yet. And I think it's actually true that the more we become like Christ, the more we understand where we're not like Christ. The more we conform to his image, the more the Spirit of God points out the areas of our lives that are not what they should be yet. And when the Spirit of God works in that way, friends, we need to eagerly and and readily receive what the Spirit is doing in us so that we can become like the person of Jesus Christ. One day we will be like him. But while we're on this earth, our desire should be to become as much like him as we possibly can be through the Spirit, and through the Word. And so as we look to this passage today, again, it's a, it's a simple story that Jesus relays. Imagine back in that day how they would 
plant their fields and, and get ready to reap a harvest, a sower or a person would go out and they would have a leather bag on their side and that bag would be filled with seed and they would take handfuls of that seed and they would broadcast it. They didn't have precision planters like we have today that will make nice and straight rows, but they would just take handfuls of seed and they would toss it on the ground in their field everywhere they went, hoping that a crop would come forth. And as that seed went into the ground, it would germinate, it would take root, and then before long that, that root would spring up on top of the ground and there would be fruit that eventually would be ready for a harvest. The story that Jesus is teaching here is very simple. We live in farming communities, so we also understand what Jesus is speaking of. But friend, just because it's simple doesn't mean it doesn't deserve our attention. And so I pray today that as we look at this simple text, that we would, with ready and eager hearts, receive the word that God gives to us today so that we could produce the fruit that God desires to produce in us. The main sower in this story at this point would have been Jesus. But the reality is, as believers, we also are the sowers of the seed. That we take the message of the kingdom, which is repent and believe the gospel to the world that we live in. And who do we share that word with? Well, how did they sow the seed? They broadcasted it. Everywhere they went, they were throwing the seed so that everyone would have an opportunity to hear the truth. And this is the word that Jesus spoke. He says, the sower sowed the seed and it went all over the place. And the seed is nothing more and nothing less than the word of God. The seed is not your political view, your social view. It's none of those things. It's simply the word of God that we go and we broadcast to the world so they can hear the truth that has changed our lives. So if the sower is all those who have believed in Jesus and are taking the message to the, word, uh, the world, and if the seed is indeed the word of God, then we must understand that the soil then is indeed the hearts of men. The hearts of men. Now you and I can't see another person's heart, right? That's why we broadcast the seed. Why? Because God does. I, I can't see your heart and you can't see my heart but the interesting thing about a heart is that it can be soft or hardened. And if it's softened, it will receive the word with gladness. And if it's hardened, it will reject the word with great fervor. And I would ask us today, are our hearts ready to receive the word? Jesus is going to reveal to us that hard and stony and thorny ground will never receive his word and they will never produce fruit. So if God has spoken to you about a hard heart in your life or a thorny heart or a stony heart, would you repent of that today? Would you receive his word with gladness and pray that he would give us a soft heart ready to receive the word? Jesus begins the parable with two words, hearken and behold, hearken and behold. And he wants to draw their attention to what he's about to say because it is indeed life changing. And as this was true then, church, I believe it's true as well today. We're going to see four things relatively quickly this morning. Last week I went really quickly. This is just relatively quickly um, from this passage that hopefully will be a help to us. We're going to look at both parts of the parable at once. The, the first giving of the parable and then the explanation. And we're going to tie those things together in each point. So the first thing is simply this, a heart that is hardened by the gospel. A heart that is hardened by the gospel. In verse number four... 
And Jesus says this, and it's concrete if it's trampled on enough. And Jesus says that's exactly what has taken place here. That as the sower went out to his field one day, and as he began to sow the seed, as he began to broadcast that seed, he was throwing it everywhere, and some of that seed fell on the wayside, the beaten down path. And it's laid there, and it was really of no good except for the birds who saw it from the sky. And they said, hey, that's an easy meal, and we're going to swoop in there and get it because the ground is not going to receive it. So what's the truth that Jesus is teaching? That there are some hearts that are so hardened to the word of God that they are easy prey for the enemy of the cross to swoop in and pull it away. That some hearts have have rejected the truth of the gospel so fervently and with such great passion that when the seed of the gospel is thrown in their hearts again, that they turn a blind eye to it, that they're not willing to even give it a a thought because they've rejected it so, so viciously. And the enemy is easily then able to come in and take that word away so that they can't even give it another thought. What does Paul tell us about Satan? That he is the God of this world who has blinded the eyes of them that believe not. He, he says that Satan has come in and he's, he's trip, tricked them into understanding or believing that the word of God has no effect in their lives. Their consciences have been seared and they've been turned over to their sinful lusts and desires as we see in Romans 1. They scoff at the word of God like we see in 2 Peter 3 and they find themselves like their father the devil in John chapter 8 and they are enemies of the cross of Christ as we see in Philippians 3. Their hearts have been hardened and they will not receive the word of God because they do not believe it has any value to them. Friend, if you're here today and you are not a believer, understand this, that the word of God has great value in your life if you will receive it with joy. If you'll soften your heart to the truth of the gospel and believe that Jesus died in your place, that you can receive the salvation that he has provided. But I would encourage you today, if you have not done that yet, please don't harden your heart to the word of God. Because friend, there could come a day when the word of God will have no effect in your life at all. Isn't that what Jesus told the scribes and the Pharisees last week? That there's a sin that can be committed that leads to eternal damnation? That blasphemy of the Spirit where we readily and openly and willingly willingly and continually reject the Word of God? Please don't harden your heart today. Please don't harden your heart. Even if you're not ready to receive, please don't harden your heart. You see, some would say, well, there's a problem with the sower. No, the sower did what he was supposed to do. He broadcasted the seed. Some would say that there was a problem with the seed, that it wasn't ready to give fruit, but there was no problem with the seed. Who does Jesus say the problem was with? It was the with the one who received it, the one who had hardened their heart to the things of God. I wonder today, is your heart hardened to the gospel? Is your heart hardened to the truth that has the ability to change your life? Before church today, you guys almost actually got a session in premarital counseling because I sat down there. Before church, I did a premarital counseling session. I sat down and opened up my notes. I'm like, well, that's not the right thing. I hope my other notes are in here. Um, And then after that, I had another meeting with somebody and uh, we were talking through the change that the gospel has made in their life. Do you believe the gospel is powerful? And this person that I talked to 
is going through it. If anybody's gone through it, they're going through it. Do you know what they sat there and said? I am a completely different person. The old me would have gone down this road and gone down that path, but several weeks ago, this person trusted Christ, and they are a completely different person. Why is that? It's because their heart was ready to receive the word, and when they received the word, it produced fruit that lasts unto eternity. So I would ask you today, have you hardened your heart towards the gospel? This passage is particularly talking to those who are saved versus those who are not saved. But can't we also make application to those of us who are saved, who often harden our hearts to the truth of the word of God? May we not harden our hearts, but may we be ready to receive the truth of the word. The second thing is a heart that's entertained by the gospel. In verses 5 and 6 and verses 16 and 17, uh, the parable says this, and some... and it. It was looked at upon and and known by the sower that this would not produce any fruit. The second ground looks like it's going to produce fruit. When we built our house, we had a plan to build on the other side of the driveway. We had a guy come and dig some test pits, and it looked like it was going to be great soil to dig in. And uh, he brought his excavator up, and he dug in about two inches. And what did he find? Ledge everywhere he tried to dig. He, he probably tried 10 different spots on that side of the driveway and could not find any place to dig. It was growing grass, it was growing ferns, it was growing all sorts of stuff, but the soil was only this deep. That's the stony ground that Jesus is talking about here. It's a heart that looks like it's ready to receive. It's a heart that looks like it's, it's doing the right thing, but under the ground, it's stony. It's hardened. And as the seed is cast onto the soil, it will not produce fruit because the roots have no place to go. It will not last. It's not genuine soil that is ready to receive the word of God, but rather it's a heart that is entertained by the gospel. Who likes to be entertained here? We all do. We, right? Hopefully that's not why you're here. Like, let's see what Dan's going to do today. Um, but we all love to be entertained in some way. But understand this church and the word of god is not strictly for entertainment it's not a heart that is entertained by the gospel likes the promises that the gospel makes it likes the claims that the gospel makes it likes the idea of a jesus who is a savior it likes the idea of an eternal life with him uh, in a place that is not like this world that we know right now it likes the idea of community within a church body, a church family. It likes those things. And so while the first ground was hardened and not ready to receive the word of God, the second ground is a heart that is entertained by the gospel, but the gospel never really takes root. Friend, there are many people who come through the doors of a church and they make a profession of faith, and months or a few years later, they're nowhere to be found. Why is that? It's because their hearts were entertained by the gospel. They liked the idea of the gospel, but they did not readily receive the gospel. To entertain actually has two definitions, and you probably know this, but I had to look it up. The first was to provide someone with amusement or enjoyment. We get that idea of entertaining. The second definition of entertain is to give attention or consideration to something, that you're entertaining a thought but not committed to it. And there are many people in many churches today who are strictly entertaining or entertained by the gospel. They like the claims that it makes 
or they're thinking through the claims that it makes, but they never personally apply it to their lives. What does Jesus say about this person? Well, in verses 16 and 17, he reveals that the seed begins to take root and they receive the word with, with gladness that was sown in their hearts. They receive it with gladness and it begins to produce fruit. But when trials and adversity and, and, uh, and difficulties arise for the word's sake, they're nowhere to be found because they're easily offended. What's Jesus saying? He's saying that there are some who are going to appear to be something that they're not. And you know what trials do? For those who are saved, trials sanctify. For those who are not saved, but they've attached themselves to the church, trials weed them out. Because they're not genuine. They're not the real deal. They haven't given their lives to Christ. They haven't really committed to the gospel. They haven't made Jesus the Lord of their life. They haven't believed the truth of the word of God. And so while the first heart is is hardened, the second heart is simply entertained. And when the difficulties arise, they flee the scene because they say it's not worth it to live this way. It's not worth it to do these things if it's going to bring persecution and hardship and difficulties into my life. We could categorize Judas as the person who is entertained by the gospel. Judas loved the idea of Jesus. Why? Because he was hopeful that Jesus would set up an earthly kingdom and overthrow the Roman government and he would have a position of power and authority on this earth. But when Judas realized that was not the case, what did he do? He betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Judas was a heart that was simply entertained. Jesus told Judas that from the beginning, you've had a devil in you. Jesus told Judas that he was the son of perdition, which means the one who was destined to destruction. Judas stuck around while things were good. He didn't always have the best attitude. He didn't like the way they handled their finances. He didn't like the way that Jesus treated those who he didn't think deserved to be treated in the way that Jesus was treating them. And so when trials and adversity And difficulties came. Judas betrayed Jesus. He looked like he was producing fruit, but the reality was he was not truly a believer. Friend, this is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, to examine our own hearts and to see whether or not we are of the faith. Can I ask you this morning to examine your heart? People can can entertain the gospel or be entertained by the gospel for a long time. But unless the gospel has taken root in your heart and in your life, you are not a believer. And if you die in the state that you are in today, you will be eternally separated from God. Will you examine your heart today to see if your heart has truly received the word of God as it is? Will you be honest with yourself? Or will you continue to live a lie? Judas chose to continue to live a lie. The Bible says that after he really thought about what he did, he he was bothered by it, and he went back and threw the silver at the religious officials' feet, and then what did he do? Went out and hung himself. See, a heart that's entertained by the gospel alone will be a heart that eventually is grieved, but it's not a grief of repentance. It's not a grief that receives forgiveness. Oftentimes, it's a grief that leads to a further departure away from God than where you even were before. So the first heart was hardened. 
The second heart was simply entertained. It looked good, but the seed couldn't take root because the heart was not ready to receive it. And the third heart is one that is temporarily appeased by the gospel. In verse 7, Jesus says this, is temporarily appeased. This group is really very similar to the second group in that they've attached themselves to the church in some way. And while the second group went away from the gospel, went away from the truth, when trials came, the third group only attaches themselves to the gospel until something better comes along. Have you ever met somebody like that? They, were, they, they, they appeared like they were all in. They appeared that they had believed the gospel. They appeared that they were believers. But then something else caught their attention, the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of this world. And before you know it, they were off on another thing because something else looked better than what they once had in their lives. Jesus says this is a heart that is temporarily appeased. They're always looking for something more. They're always looking for something to give them a quick fix. They're always looking for something to to make them feel better about where they are in their life. And Jesus says this type of person is not a saved individual. A heart that is temporarily appeased. The soil that Jesus describes here is, is similar to a briar patch. Nobody would go in and and try to plant good seed in a briar patch. You know it's just not going to work. So most believe that this was a briar patch, but it was a briar patch that would have been maintained, meaning they would have cut the thorns down. And so as the sower was sowing the seed and he was broadcasting his seed, maybe it appeared like it was good ground, and maybe he threw an extra handful over there in the briar patch, but we all know just because something is not on top of the soil doesn't mean it's not below the soil. And those roots of those thorn bushes and those briars were intertangled underneath the soil, crisscrossing in every which way. And when that seed started to penetrate that soil, those briar thorns overtook the truth of the word of God. And it caused it to become unfruitful in the life of the one who heard it. And there are many people, even in the New Testament, who fit this illustration. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Come back and we'll hear of you another time. But we're not ready right now to receive the word as it was given. And as the word sits in the heart of a person whose heart is filled with thorns, it doesn't take long for something to look better than the gospel that was described to them. You see, oftentimes people are turned off by the gospel because the truth of the gospel is this, come and die. Come and die. Die to self. Die to your will. Die to your ambitions. Believe the message of the cross that Jesus died in your place and then be crucified with him daily so that you can live the life that he has called you to live. And when people hear that, they think of come and die. That doesn't sound like a very good message. I like the promises of the gospel in the beginning, but I don't like the call of the gospel now to come and die. And so when something better comes along, I'm going to attach myself to that better thing. Why? Because it's better for me in the moment. Anybody here ever made financial decisions that were better in the moment but not in the long run? We all have. How does that end up? It's called buyer's remorse. When you lay in bed at night thinking, why did I do that thing that I did? We understand what that's like. Jesus is saying here the 
The thorny ground is not ready to receive the word, but the, the thorns come in and they take over where the gospel has started to take root and they choke out, they kill the work that the Spirit is doing in the heart of that person. When the gospel is choked out in the heart of this person, the gospel then becomes unfruitful. It's better for that bush to be cut off and cast into a fire. And Jesus says that's eventually what's going to happen to it. We see this play out in the gospels several times. Think for a moment about the parable that Jesus gives of the man who found the the field that had the great treasure in it. That man went and sold all that he had, gave up everything that he had to purchase that field. Why? Because he realized that what was in the field was of a far greater value than what he had outside of the field. And that is the true call of the gospel to everyone who will hear it, understanding that what you can have in this life doesn't compare to what is waiting for you in the life to come. So abandon everything you know and readily and eagerly receive the word of the gospel so that it can take root and produce fruit greater than you could ever imagine. But so many people look at what they have and they look at the field and they say, I'd rather have the things that are in my possession right now than what God has promised to me in the future. It's also true in the story of the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and what did he say? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him to sell everything he has and give it to the poor. And what does that man do at the end of that story? He walks away sorrowful. Why? Not because he didn't appreciate the words of Jesus, but because he loved the things of this world in a deeper way. It's exactly what Jesus is describing in this passage. In verses 18 and 19, again, he says, These are they which are sown among thorns. Anything from caring for yourself to caring for your family to caring about your finances, it it could be any of those things. He says the deceitfulness of riches, that's pretty pointed. And then Jesus, his last statement is just the lust of other things. And basically what Jesus is saying is that there are some who will never receive the word because they value everything else over the gospel. Friend, if you're here today and the Spirit of God has been working in your heart and you've been thinking only of the things that you have to give up to come to Jesus, with that heart and with that mindset, you will never come to Jesus. But when the gospel is preached to you that Jesus died in your place, he became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When you understand what Jesus gave up on your behalf so that you could be forgiven, you will count everything in this world as dung and you will cleave to the gospel fully understanding that that is the only thing that has the power to change your life. So friend, harden not your heart today but receive the truth of the gospel that it would produce fruit in your life. In each of these three scenarios, the sower did his job and the seed did what it was supposed to do. It was cast out onto the ground. The same seed went in all these different places. It had the same potency and it had the same potential, but the soil or the hearts of men did not receive it. These are those who the writer of Hebrews would talk about. They say they've tasted it. They felt the working of the Holy Spirit in their life, but they drew back. They said, instead of giving my life to Christ, I will give my life 
to other things. These are not people who were saved and once lost their salvation, for that is a lie that is not found in the Bible. If you're saved, you're always saved. If you're truly saved, you're always truly saved. And that gospel will continue to produce fruit in your life until Jesus calls you home. Does this mean I won't have a time of wandering? Friend, we all have times of wandering. But those who are truly saved, what do they always find themselves doing? Coming back to the gospel. Coming back to the truth of who Jesus is. doesn't excuse our wanderings but it just fits with the rest of the scripture that would remind us that his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. If your salvation was dependent upon you keeping your promise to God, then you would have been unsaved a long time ago. But because our salvation is based upon God's promise to us, that he'll never cast us out, that he holds us in his hand in Romans 8, that nothing can remove us from the love of God, then guess what, friend? We are saved until he calls us home. And that's when we see our salvation in full sight. And so, in these three points, I would ask you, do you find yourself in these scenarios? A person that is hardened by the gospel saying, no, I'm not going to receive it. Are you a person who, who, whose life uh, has heard, had many gospel opportunities, but you've chosen to reject them? Friend, do not harden your heart. Or maybe today you're a heart that is just simply entertained by the gospel. You like the thought of what the gospel offers and you're entertaining it, allowing it, uh, entertaining the idea of allowing it to be a part of your life. Friend, stop entertaining the gospel and give yourself to it fully. Bow at the feet of Jesus and make him the Lord of your life and see what a difference he can make not only in this life but in the life to come. Or, Or maybe you're a heart that's just temporarily appeased. I I hate and despise this idea when people say, I'm going to try Jesus out. Friend, you don't try Jesus out. It's not a reality. Because you can't experience the fullness of Jesus until you're a child of God. So there's no trying it out. You either are or you aren't. If you're here today saying, I'm going to try this until it gets old and something better comes along, understand this, that you are... You are no different in this moment than an addict who's bouncing from thing to thing to thing, trying to find relief from the the difficulties that they're facing in their life. So if if you're just temporarily appeased, I would say that you are in no wise a child of God. But then Jesus gives us the fourth picture. And that's a heart that's growing in the gospel. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't just give us the first three? And say, the Christian life is tough, figure it out. But he goes on in verse number 8 and says this, and other fell, somebody else, am I producing the fruit of righteousness in my life? The fruit of righteousness does not come through your actions alone, but it comes through you and I surrendering and submitting to the Word of God and the will of God and the Spirit of God, that when God says do, we do. When God says don't, we don't. When God says go, we go. And when God says stay, we stay. When He says abstain, we abstain. When He says follow, we follow. Regardless of what it costs us, regardless of what it looks like, regardless of what it's going to mean for our lives in the future, we simply follow Him. And when the heart of the gospel, or the, the seed of the gospel is sown in that type of heart, and they receive the word, and it begins to produce fruit, friend, there's nothing greater in this life than that. Nothing greater. 
nothing greater. Notice how, how Jesus says some produce 30, some produce 60, and some produce 100. You say, well, some, some are better Christians than others. No, no, friend, that's not what Jesus is saying at all. What he's saying is that we produce fruit in our own season according to his plan and for his purpose. Last fall, I don't know if anybody else noticed it, but these two maple trees down here at the end of the driveway, one of them was green and lush and beautiful through the fall. Didn't, didn't even change color. The other one changed color and died almost instantly. We could look and say, well, one of those maple trees is healthy and, and one's not. But that's not true. Those are two different maple trees. And they react and grow and thrive and flourish in different ways. Look around the room. It's okay to turn your head in church and look, look around the room. What do you see? You know what you see? You see a bunch of different people who are like those maple trees who are in different parts of their journey and in their walk with Christ and some are going are, are gonna to flourish while others seem to be not flourishing. But what's the point of Jesus' parable here? That a true believer produces fruit. If you drive down the driveway today, what do you see? Two maple trees that are growing and flourishing that are producing fruit in the season that God has them in. Friend, don't judge your faithfulness to God by looking at another person. Judge your faithfulness to God by looking at the Word of God. You don't know what everybody in this room is going through, and they don't know what you're going through. But growth happens in different ways point is, are you growing? Jesus says those who receive the word, who truly receive the word, are going to grow. Some will grow 30-fold. Some will grow 60-fold. Some will grow 100. And praise God for the growth that is found in those things. Our job is to just stay, to stay submitted to the word of God and the spirit of God so that we can grow in the way that God desires us to grow. And so we don't judge ourselves Amongst ourselves, Paul says that's not wise. That's not a good way to live the Christian life. But we judge ourselves against the word of God. And I'll be honest, there's sometimes in my life, even as a pastor, where I look at my life in comparison to the word of God, and I say, I'm not growing at the rate that I wish I would grow. Do you know what my job is to do in that moment? To make sure that I'm submitted to the word of God and the will of God and the way that God has called me to be. And who takes care of the fruit? God does. We had time, we'd go back to Jesus' words in, in John where he says, without me, you can do nothing. You see, if I, if I stay attached to the vine, meaning that I'm abiding in him, meaning that I'm, th uh, I'm growing through his word and the means that he has given me to grow, then I will produce fruit. And that fruit will be according to his desire and his will. You see, not growing is an indicator that something is wrong. It doesn't mean that something's wrong with the sower, for he did what he was supposed to do. And it doesn't mean that something is wrong with the seed, because the seed did what it was supposed to do. But not growing is an indicator that there's something amiss in my heart. And maybe my heart has begun to be hardened in a way that I don't even recognize. And that's why we prayed at the beginning of service, that our hearts would be ready to receive the word.
Maybe you're here and you're saying, I don't, I don't understand. You say grow, but I don't understand what grow means. I don't understand what that looks like. Well, Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says this, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and, uh, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. How do we receive the Lord Jesus Christ? By faith. How do we grow in our Christian life? How do we abound? By faith. We follow him. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be both glory, both now and forever. Amen. Ephesians 4.13-15 says, Till we all come into unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God and to a perfect man and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So he tells us to grow by faith. He tells us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he tells us to grow until we're just like Jesus. So you may sit here today and think, man, I don't have much room to grow. Friend, (laughs) you're probably not like Jesus just yet right? So we all have room to grow. Your area of growth might not be like somebody else's area of growth. You may be flourishing in one area of your life and praise God that you are flourishing in that area of your life. But don't let the fruit in one area of your life cause you to become slack in other areas of your life. But we're to be like Christ in every area in the way that he was committed to the will of the Father, in the, the way of importance that he looked at the word of God, he valued the word of God, in the submission that he had to the spirit of God, in the love that he had for those who were a part of his disciple group, but also for those who were outside, who were lost and dead in their sins. So may we grow. May our hearts be ready to receive the word and may it yield fruit in our lives that we never even thought possible. And Jesus gave this parable the first time. In verse 9, again, he said these words, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Do you know what this was a plea from, for, on Jesus' behalf? Very simple. That those who had ears to hear would hear. That those whose eyes and hearts had been opened to the truth of who Jesus was, that they would embrace him fully, that they would embrace him only, that they would embrace him until he called them home, that they would, they would embrace him, that they would listen to what he has to say. And then as James says, not just to be hearers of the word, because there were many hearers, but the second hear in this passage, in this verse, would mean he that hath ears to hear, let him hear, Hearing means following through, to carrying out, to living these ideas in a day-to-day basis. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And if you're here today and you are a believer, you're a child of God, you know that Jesus is your Savior. If you have ears, friend, then let him hear. Let him hear what God is saying to your heart in this moment and become obedient to him. Cast your cares on him. Why? Because 
He cares for you. Follow him wherever he takes you because that's the best life that you can live. Oh, it may cost you everything. It may cost you your family. It may cost you your closest relationships. But wasn't it true that last week as we looked at the words of Christ, he said, who is my mother and who is my brethren? My mother and my brethren are those who do the will of God. So it may be costly. But also, friend, remember the words of Jesus that those who give up anything in this life will be rewarded a hundredfold when they get to heaven. We don't do it for the reward. We do it because he's worth following. We do it because he's changed our lives. And there's no one else that we can be devoted to. But also, if you're here today, and that doesn't describe you, you're not a child of God yet. Friend, if the Spirit is speaking to your heart, fall at His merciful feet. He tells us in Matthew to come unto Him, all who labor and are heavy laden, and He will give you rest. You may be going through this life trying to figure it out, trying to find something to put hope in, trying to find something that will appease you or give you peace or give you joy. Friend, the only thing that can do any of those things fully and completely is the person of Jesus Christ. So today, will you fall at his feet? Will you receive the truth of the gospel? Will you become a child of God? The big idea, again, was this. As the word of God goes forth, may we receive it with humility so that we can be transformed into the image of Christ. And I simply ask you this today. Is your heart prepared to receive the word? The passages that we began with this morning reveal to us that God's word is powerful. But friend, understand this that God is also gracious. And there's something that's connected to the word of God and a heart that's willing to receive the word of God. So I would just ask you again today, is your heart ready to receive the word? God, we thank you for this time that we can come to your house. We do pray this morning, God, that we would be ready to receive. Your word has been read And God, I believe I've shared what you have laid on my heart. I pray that each of us in this room today would think through these words, not in a critical way, not in a judgmental way, not in a complacent way, but with a softened heart that's asking God, what would you have for me in this passage? We pray that you'd be glorified through the work that you do this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Dave's going to come and we're going to sing a song. If you have questions about the gospel, meet me at the back of the church and I'd love to show you through the Bible how you can be saved. If you're a believer, I pray that as we sing this song, you would simply contemplate the words that we read today and that you would allow the word to work in your heart.